You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Images are the language of the brain. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. We've got some good stories to share this week, and later in the show, we're joined by Gary Berman. He's from an organization called Cyberman Security. He's got an interesting origin story on how he came to set his sights on helping people be safer online. And we are back. Joe, I'm going to kick things off for us this week. My story comes from a listener named Kevin. He works in tech, but he's also treasurer of a small church in Silicon Valley. Mm. And he recently thwarted an attempted scam at his church where someone was sending some emails pretending to be the pastor and they were asking church staff to make payments. We've seen this before. We have indeed. And so as one of the organization's tech guys, he decided he was going to follow up with a note to the congregation about some of the scams that target houses of worship. Right. And when he was doing his research, he came across a particular donation scam that he sent in to us. Okay. So this is from a website called churchlawandtax.com, written by two gentlemen, Mike Batts and Danny Johnson, and it's called What to Know About a New Donation Scam. And this is how it works. Imagine that you are working at the church. Let's say you are, for example, the church treasurer, minding your own business, and you get a call from someone who's a member of the church, and they call and they say that they recently made a donation to the church in the amount of $5,000. Right. But they made a mistake. They did it online, and they meant for it to be $50. Right. And this person uh, pleads for a refund for the difference. He says uh, he's on a fixed income, and this $5,000 is is going to be hard for him. And, of course, you want to do the right thing. You want to help this person out. He's a member of your church, so you go and you refund the difference. Well, the first thing I do is check for a $5,000 donation from this guy. You're absolutely correct. And when you do that, you see that, yes, indeed, there was a $5,000 donation from this person, huh, a new okay. donor. Okay. So you go through and you refund the difference. So in this case, uh, $4,950, you refund. Right. And you think your job's done here and, and off you go. That's right. Well, a couple days later, you get a notice from the bank that the original $5,000 gift from this person was rejected due to insufficient funds in the account. So the original gift of $5,000 is debited from your organization's account as a chargeback. You try to call this person back. And there's nobody there. There's nobody there. Not a working number. And so at the end of the day, you've been scammed. You issued a refund for $4,950 out of a $5,000 contribution that you never actually got. That's right. So these fraudsters are, are taking advantage of... I guess some of the built-in delays and, and peculiarities of the banking system. Right. And some, and the good nature of people who tend to run churches. Right. Right. Exactly. So I guess the only way to avoid this kind of scam when you see this happening is to say, we'll happily refund you the money once it's cleared our accounts. And you wait for the couple of days. One of the things that the authors of this article point out, and they are attorneys. They work for a a law firm called Bats, Morrison, Wales, and Lee, a law firm out of uh, Orlando. And they make a point that nonprofit organizations are not at liberty to simply refund contributions upon a donor's request. 
He says, imagine a donor giving a large gift, the organization using the gift to pay for a significant initiative, right. and the donor subsequently asking for a refund. Once you get that donation, there has to be a deliberate process by which the refund is granted. They make the suggestion that maybe there should be a committee or something like that, even though obviously in this case, they're just trying to do the right thing and trying right. to help someone out who, from their point of view, made an honest mistake. You got to slow down. How yeah. many times do we say that? A lot. Slow we say that down. a lot. Slow down. <laughs> slow and down. That, that's one of the tactics of these scammers is to try to make it urgent and to short circuit your thinking and to get you to react without going through the proper processes. Yeah. So that's my story. Uh, thanks, Kevin, for sending that into us. Joe, what do you have this week? I have a story from Sean Gallagher at Ars Technica. And recently, Twitter's security team has been tracking a large number of fraudulent accounts coming out of Africa. And a lot of them are romance scammers. Mm -hmm. So there are thousands of accounts involved in the ongoing campaign. Many of these accounts have been suspended by Twitter because Twitter you know, kind of looks out for these things. Right. But that doesn't put a dent in their activity. They just go set up a new account and they run new scams. And Sean has been gathering some anecdotal data from a number of such accounts as they've attempted to lure him in for these attacks. Hmm. Right. These scammers follow an easy to spot pattern, if you're familiar with it. But the scale of these efforts goes far beyond what you'd expect in recognizable cons. Hmm. And it suggests that there's a high level of sophistication going on here. Sean says if getting in touch with these fake accounts isn't hard, he gets about three direct message requests per week. And they start with a simple hi. They claim to be, of course, women because he is a man. Right. And that is the assumption that he's going to be interested in women. Yeah. And they just want to chat and make friends. He says what's interesting about this is they're often slow moving. So unlike the scam we heard about earlier where people are trying to get you to move fast, these guys are trying to get you to move slow. Mm -hmm. But Sean thinks this is probably because the people on the other end are involved in a large number of scams that they can't pay attention to everybody at the same time. So they're switching off. And they follow this familiar process we've seen before where they harvest images from various social media sites and then they create a persona that's believable. This image harvesting where they take people's real images has happened to a French guy so much that there's a Facebook page that is – all of the scams that have used his images, right? <laughs> and you look at this Facebook page and the guy is a very good looking guy. I imagine that they use his images because they are effective. Sometimes they set up the, the account with the same name as the person from whom they stole the images. And Sean confronted one of these scammers and said, hey, you have this account over here as well. And the scammer said something very clever. They said, oh, that was an account that was set up by my ex-husband, which is interesting, hmm. right? Because that's plausible. Yeah. <laughs> Sean does something very clever here. He sends this person a bit.ly link, which leads to a web page that Sean controls. And that means that Sean has access to all the log files. And he finds out the person is in. Take a guess. Oh, I'm going to go out on a limb here. Uh, let me just take a wild guess here and say Nigeria. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Nigeria. Wow. Right. He has some pictures in the article of uh, multiple conversations, and it, it's really good, but it's interesting to watch this. And, and of course, there are the, the standard signs that we've talked about a number of times here, but people need to always be aware of this. So if you're a new listener to the show, look for these signs on a Twitter account that is talking to you about just wanting to be friends. They'll have a limited number of social media posts mm -hmm. okay, on any platform that they have. Mm. So on Twitter, they'll have like maybe just a couple of retweets. They'll tweet out the, the photos that they've stolen from the other person. It won't look exactly right. It'll be a relatively new account. That's another key mm -hmm. indicator. They'll have very few followers. 
and many of their followers will be other scam accounts or other people that they're trying to scam, which is an interesting dynamic here. And finally, the most telling tale that you're dealing with a scammer is they will try to move the conversation off of Twitter because they know that Twitter is gunning for these accounts and they know that their account is going to be shut down. Oh, that's interesting. So they'll take it to another place where the account is less likely to get shut down because it's not really a social media account. And in Sean's case, they always wanted to move the discussion to either Google Hangouts or to WhatsApp. That should be a huge red flag whenever you're dealing with uh, somebody on social media who is indicating to you that they want a deeper relationship. If they want to move it off the site, chances are that they're afraid that their account's going to get shut down because the hosting site is going to realize this is a nefarious account. And this happens a lot on dating apps. It happens on Facebook. It happens, of course, on Twitter, like we're talking about. But it will not happen on uh, sites that are not necessarily social media, like WhatsApp, which is a, a secure communications app, and Hangouts, for which the user just needs a Google account. To uh, move your conversation to somewhere else should be a red flag. Absolutely. So, I, I agree with that mm-hmm. 100%. All right. It's time to move on to our catch of the day. Joe, a listener sent this to us. This is actually about a London-based comedian. His name is James Veach. And he spent a couple of years replying to spam emails, and he compiled the conversations into a book, which you can find on Amazon. Uh, We'll have a link to the book in the show notes. And this is one of the exchanges that James had with one of the Nigerian scammers. Joe, I'm going to ask you to play the part of the Nigerian, and I will play the part of James. It sounds a little like this. Dear friend, my name is John Kelly. I am 59 years old man. I am in a hospital in Dubai. Recently, my doctor told me that I would not last for the next six months due to my cancer problem, cancer of the lever. Hmm. I hate when my lever gets cancer. Yeah, it's bad. I am giving my money away because of my health condition and the fact that my second wife is a terrifying woman to deal with. Marrying her was the only mistake I made in my life. She's currently managing my company here, but I know what she's capable of. She has sold her soul to the devil and I do not want her to come near my money. Regards, John Kelly. John, I'm so sorry to hear of this. Cancer of the lever can be deadly. Your second wife sounds awful. How did she sell her soul to the devil? Are you sure it's your lever and not your second wife poisoning you? Make sure to check your food before you eat it. James. Dear James Veach, I am delighted to read your email. I trust in you based on the information from you. My wife is a very wicked woman who want me death so that she can inherit my wealth. I am praying to God to extend my life. John Kelly. John, I had an idea while I was in the bath this morning. When you sit down to dinner, say, look over there or something. And when she's looking in the other direction, switch plates with her. That way, if she's poisoned your food, she'll be eating it. James. I feel sad whenever I talk about her. I need your sincere assistant to help me to move and invest the sum of $9 million. Our business discussion will remain strictly confidential and my wife can never know about it. John, forget what I said before. Don't do the plate switcheroo. She's crafty. She might have anticipated the plate switching and already switched them, so don't switch the plates. James. Dear James Veach, thank you for your kind advice. But I will also wish to remind you that I can only allow for 10 minutes by the doctor to check my email. The funds are currently deposited with a private security company. Your duty is to contact the company as my representative, arrange with them, and finalize the funds into your account. 
John Kelly. I've had another bath, and I think you should switch the plates. Hear me out. I think that she will have anticipated our anticipation and will give you the poison. Of course, it's quite possible that she might anticipate this, though. Basically, I'm confused. James Veach, you must inform me your readiness to allow me introduce you officially to the company as my financial investment representative. I wait for your approval. Of course, happy to help. Let me know the deets. Meanwhile, my wife has been acting very strangely the last few months. I'm concerned she might be wanting me death too. It could be she's annoyed at the number of baths I've been taking. What are your top 10 signs that your wife has become evil and wants your wealth? James Veach, I am going on a cancer surgery operation today. Contact my lawyer with Liberty Law Firm at hotmail.co.uk. Tell him I have willed 9.2M to you for the good work of the God. There might be a small processing fee. Dear Liberty Law, John's having the op today. Just in case things go pear-shaped, he's willed 9.2M to me to spend as frivolously as possible. Can you get in touch and let me know how I can best receive the money? I've run up a sizable water bill that I need to pay off ASAP. All the best, James. This email comes from Liberty Law, re-beneficiary for Mr. John Kelly Estate. Our client, Mr. John Kelly, has asked that we provide legal services on your behalf as his beneficiary in respect of funds $9.2 million. We will require your personal information to prepare the required documents. Please send to this office the following details. Full names, contact address, occupation, monthly salary, income, marital status, telephone fax number, and mobile phone number. I await your reply. Regards, Bar Liberty Moore. Dear Liberty Law, yes, I am to be the beneficiary for John's estate. Here are the details you asked for. Full name, Alistair James Veach. Occupation, hedge fund manager. Monthly salary income, £40,000. Mobile phone number, I don't trust the damn things. How can I get this money? I'm so anxious to get a hold of it, I might just do something rash. Dear James Veach, We could not respond to your email yesterday because of the news of John Kelly's death that reached us yesterday from the Dubai Mortality and Death Records Agency. John Kelly passed out in the early hours of yesterday, and his remains have been deposited in a mortuary and will be buried on Monday next week in Dubai. Get back to me so that I can instruct you on how you can send $900 US to the court for them to issue the above required documents for submission to the ING Bank for release of the funds to you. The Bible made us understand that blessed is the hand that gives. Dear Liberty Moore, I am so sorry to hear that John Kelly has passed out. Do you mind my asking whether it was peaceful? It seems like I was talking to him only yesterday. It's a shocking and entirely unexpected development. Begin with the wife. If you ask me, there's something not quite right about her. Meanwhile, I'm ready to receive the $9.2 million. I'm so happy to do this. I'm reminded of Psalms 13, verses 3 and 4, where the Lord says, Bring unto me the $9.2 million in non-sequential bills. Please begin the transfer as soon as possible, as I'm a bit impecunious just this minute. Dear James Veach, he died of complications resulting from the operation. May his gentle soul rest in peace. You can send the payment for them to release the funds to you. This must be hitting you hard then. How are you holding up? I've been thinking it over, and I couldn't, in all honesty, accept this money without knowing a bit more about John Kelly. Where is his funeral going to take place? I'm thinking of going. We categorically stated that his remains would be buried on Monday in Dubai, which is today. 
Thank you very much for your concern about my personal well-being and how are you and your family doing? I hope great. May John Kelly's gentle soul rest in peace. Yes, of a truth, his death is hitting me hard and I am being able to hold up because of the actualization of his dreams that is near completion due to your kindness to assist him. Dear Liberty, I live in London, you see, so I thought I'd just pop round and give you the $900 in person. Be good to meet up anyway and chew the fat. I stopped by your corporate offices in North London, only I couldn't find an office there. Just a cul-de-sac. What's the deal? All the best, James. <laughs> and that's the end. So James Veach does this a lot with these guys. And, yeah. And uh, he has a TED Talk that's uh, very funny. And he's very funny, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. Yeah, we'll, definitely worth checking. We'll out. have a couple of links to uh, his book and his TED talk, so you can uh, see more of James. So that is our catch of the day. Coming up next, we've got my interview with Gary Berman. He has started an organization called Cyberman Security, and they are involved in trying to make the world a little safer for folks of all walks of life. So, Joe, I recently had the pleasure of speaking with Gary Berman. He has started a really interesting company and project called Cyberman Security. They're publishing comic books, graphic novels, putting them online and also in print. And he's got an interesting story about how he got into all of this. Here's my discussion with Gary Berman. I was the CEO of a marketing communications company 18 years ago that I had started with my wife. Things were going really well. We were fortunate to sell 49% of it to one of the largest marketing companies in the world and everything was uh, going great. And unfortunately then I suffered a serious injury. Uh, I was playing um, in a uh, Jewish basketball league. I uh, just blew out my knee, which resulted in complications, and I almost uh, died. So I was out of my own marketing company for about nine or 10 months, during which time, unbeknownst to me or my wife, my right-hand person and a tech contractor and a couple other people essentially cloned my company. And they spoofed our website. They redirected incoming phone calls from our you know, company to a company they had uh, set up. They had, uh, amongst other things pertaining to hacking humans and social engineering, they pretended to be whistleblowers, called my biggest clients like General Motors, AT&T, Procter & Gamble, saying that I was under uh, investigation for fraud. Uh, within my data collection facility and that I was under investigation by the FBI and to cease all communications with me. I'm making a very long story short, I lost several million dollars and, and I had to lay off about 100 people after about five years trying to keep things going. The whole time, this uh, kind of technology net was evidently you know, over my work and the FBI f first referred to it as an economic crime, which it was, but then it turned into something else. Uh, Along the lines, perhaps it's, it's referred to as cyber stalking, because after I closed the company, fast forward to about three years ago as a way just to provide for my family, my wife and I decided I would try to get back into the industry that I had left, you know, 10 years earlier. And I was quickly invited to give a keynote speech. It went great. All these people came up saying, Gary, where have you been? You know, can we submit a proposal to you? And I came <clears> home with a stack of business cards and fell into my wife's arms in tears, you know, of gratitude. And the next day the hack started, you know, boom, 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 you know, starting mm. with hacking my LinkedIn account, uh, Google two-factor authentication, uh, Norton VPN, 36 people listening to my OnStar account in my car. Uh, there were actually 19 attack vectors. Over time, 
they made up various explanations like, oh, we had just decided to start our own company. But I, they were on my salary for at least two years while this mm. was happening. So I later learned every morning they were having what I referred to as parking lot summits. So about four of them would get together and go over their production for the day, you know, for the research that we we're putting out, come into my office, do their work and do just a tiny bit of kind of our core company work and eventually siphoned off everything. Wow. What the comic has done, I needed to find a way to shine the light because kind of unable to receive justice due to the difficulty of attribution. I took a quote from Justice Brandeis, who once famously said, sunlight is the best disinfectant. And so I started trying to listen and learn, you know, about cybersecurity. And right away, I knew that, you know, this is way beyond me. I mean, there's no way I'm going to get my CISSP or have a 20-year career. You know, I was 60 years old at the time trying to learn about an industry that I knew nothing about. And so, I bought a book called Cybersecurity for Dummies. You know, those yellow books with the black uh, stripe on them for dummies? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I thought, okay, perfect. So, I got the book and 10 pages in, Dave, I was lost. And I knew there had to be a better way. So, but I had no idea about that or how to do it or what it was. And so I decided to listen and learn. I uh, happened to see Spider-Man and I thought, hey, what about comics, superhero comics? Uh, find a way to distill complicated cybersecurity or technology information into something that's approachable to 99.9% of all people who are online who are not in cybersecurity you know, right. or technology. And so I put a little prototype, you know, of, of a cover of a, of a comic on my LinkedIn page and I decided to invite CSOs. So one at a time, I just, you know, looked up CSO by title and I started inviting them to connect with me. And I asked them to please send me blinded real life stories of cybercrime answering three questions. What happened? What were the consequences? And most importantly, what were the lessons learned? for possible inclusion into, you know, comics. And as of this morning, I have over 21,900 connections. Hmm. That's what I said, because I thought, why not try to learn from the people who have been in the industry longest and, and who are the innovators? And, and I've been the beneficiary of this incredible generosity of time and wisdom and skills and connections within the cybersecurity ecosystem. And uh, last year at DEF CON, when I released our first comic, I signed 3,250 copies. Wow. Yeah. You know, it strikes me that one of the great things about comics and graphic novels is how the wide array of folks that they appeal to. Yeah, that's a great analysis. And it's the epicenter. It's the secret sauce because images are the language of the brain. So if you study like memory, which I had to learn about, if you studied the Marvel way, which I had to learn about from Stan Lee, rest in peace, mm -hmm. images are how the brain recalls things. And so the second sort of underpinning of, of, of what you just said is because the overwhelming majority of people in this ecosystem, I'm referring now just to cybersecurity for a moment or technology, come from a tech background. That's the, how their brains are wired. And that does make complete sense. Everyone uses their brain. What I'm appealing to is their heart and storytelling. So it's not even so much that using, you know, graphic novels or images by themselves are compelling enough to occupy the space in someone's brain or their heart and then serve as a basis for changing behavior. 
It's that the stories are so interesting, you know, and they're real life and people go, huh, I learned something from this that I didn't know before and, and I'm grateful for it. And I'll pass it on to my kids. And in about uh, two weeks or so, in partnership with NICE, uh, the National Initiative for Cybersecurity Education, they're sending out, you know, our comics to 200,000 people in the federal government, <laughs> which hmm. is unbelievable. One of the things that strikes me about the work you're doing as I look through your, your gallery of heroes and villains is uh, there's a lot of diversity there, which is great, yes. that the fact that there's a print version of this, the kid can take this home who might not have access to a computer at home. That ties into something else that we just listened and learned about you know, and that is, you know, the only people that really like change, you know, are babies with wet diapers, you know, <laughs> so most of us have trouble with that, you know, so if you think about like uh, security awareness or training, you know, at a corporation, it's great for what it is, you know, PowerPoint, things like that. Diversity, very intentional for us because mm -hmm. we listen and learn a lot of times on your show, you know, you sponsor this great conference for women and all that. So on purpose, half our characters are women. And half of them are Hispanic or African-American or Asian. Uh, we have a, a veteran, a disabled veteran, because we know that this is an opportunity to amplify the importance of diversity within the cybersecurity ecosystem and to encourage the next generation of people in university or, or young adults to pursue uh, careers in cybersecurity. And then even younger, we want real diverse people and opinions and life skills uh, taking STEM courses. So we're actually, in our own little way, you know, amplifying all the stuff you do. And I have to say that one of the things that I really appreciate about the work you're doing is that in, in a field that is so technical and is so often, you know, ones and zeros and charts and graphs and statistics, that you're coming at this problem, this very real problem from an emotional side yes. uh, through the power of storytelling. And that is really a powerful way to connect with people and really influence them. I learned this from the legacy of this guy named Joseph Campbell. He wrote, amongst other things, this thing called the monomyth. And mm. basically, he's a mythologist and he studied cultures and storytelling all the way back to ancient Greece and things. And, you know, it turns out we all have just kind of one story, you know, and he calls it the hero's journey. And you have it. All your listeners have it. And it's unique and special, you know, and uh, people feel passionate about their own journeys. And, you know, so our mission is to unleash that power for good. Joe, what do you think? Interesting guy, huh? Interesting guy. I can't imagine having to go through that, what yeah. he went through to wind up where he is. It's a very interesting story. Unfortunate. Yeah. One of the things he said that always rings true with me is that change is difficult to implement. You know, he says the only people that like change are babies with full diapers. Right. Uh, I think what he's doing is important work to get more people interested in the field to understand it. I like all the different villains that he has. Those are kind of funny. The heroes are done. And the artwork in the comic book looks pretty good. So I think this is good. I think it's a, it's a medium that a lot of people are familiar with and that it, that it will be approachable. We'll see how it works. Yeah. I, I like that it's it's a fresh approach to something. Obviously, people are saying that we need as much help in this area as possible. So right. for somebody to come at this from a different direction, a bit of thinking outside of the box, I think that's great. We'll have a link uh, where you can check it out in the show notes, of course. Our thanks to Gary Berman for joining us. 
Thanks to the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our coordinating producer is Jennifer Iben. Our editor is John Petrick. Technical editor is Chris Russell. Our staff writer is Tim Nodar. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening. Thank you.